I'm, I'm excited to, to be able to spend some time with you guys. I want to give you a synopsis of what I shared with your kids a couple of Wednesday nights ago. Um, and, and really is a topic that really applied in some ways more to you guys than it does to them. It's about spending less. Kids don't think in terms of spending less, right? They just spend whatever they have, and they want you to spend whatever you have. And so they don't really think in those terms. But we as parents, we, we have to try to think in those terms. We understand this concept of the need to spend less. And uh, that's a theme that was given to me to teach to the students under this label of Advent Conspiracy. And the, the idea of the Advent Conspiracy is that we would celebrate Christmas in a way that reflected we understand what God wants and what God says. And we want our celebration of Christmas to reflect that. And one of the ideas that was presented in the, the material that was given to me is this idea of spending less. You think about spending things, and I think immediately we begin to think about spending on what we want. I mean, that's how I think about it. When I think about spending money, I'm thinking first about spending money on things I want. Do any of you make a Christmas list for Christmas? I do. I've done it since I was a kid, and that was the, one of the first things that I introduced to my in-laws. I make a Christmas list. I want you to be fully aware of my list. And uh, so every... Thanksgiving, that's the time mark, you know, the time stamp. Right after Thanksgiving is over, my mother-in-law asked me for my Christmas list. It's one of the greatest moments of my life. And so I supply her my Christmas list, and I have high expectations that I have set the bar for everybody else's receiving by my Christmas list. And so I put stuff on there that I want. I mean, we want stuff. And I'm just like everybody else, I want stuff. And so this idea of spending less is a particular challenge. And for me, initially, when I think about spending less, my, my mind goes to, well, if I'm going to spend less, I better want less, because that's fundamentally the problem. I want a lot, and that means I'm going to spend a lot. And if I'm going to spend less, I better want less. But when you think about it from a biblical perspective, that simply does not work, because we cannot change the fact that we want stuff. Have you noticed that? I mean, I can tell myself not to want things all day long, but you know what's going to happen? I'm still going to want things because that's just kind of how we're wired. That's how we're made. That's how we're designed to be, to want. And so I feel like biblically, from a biblical perspective, the idea of spending less by wanting less does not work. So I want to propose to you biblically that the idea of spending less by wanting more works better. So I'd like you to think about that with me. I want you to think about a couple of scriptural stories with me to think about that. Now, before we get into those scripture passages, think about the things you want. What are some of the things that you want in your life? Anybody brave enough to share some of those? And maybe think about things you've wanted in the past. You know, maybe you've wanted a promotion at work. Maybe you've been in a contest. Some of you guys are probably in fantasy football leagues. And you're in the first round of the playoffs this Sunday in your league, and you want to win, right? Anybody like that? Am I the only one? I'm in the consolation bracket, and I'm hacked off about that today. Didn't even want to set my lineup, you know. I don't even care at this point. just want a good draft position. Uh, what, what do you want? Anybody? Brett said y'all are the most talkative group in the church. I don't know if he lied to me or what, but... Anybody else got something you want to say? A new Dutch oven. A new Dutch oven, man. 
Dutch ovens are awesome. I love those things. I wanted one a while back, and I got one. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll be as fortunate as me. Anybody else? What do you want? What did we figure it out? Yes. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. Anybody else? Golf clubs. Yeah. Anybody else got a want? Yeti cooler. You know what I want? I want some knockoff company to come out with something that's better than Yeti for a fourth of the price. Anybody else want that? I mean, that, that stuff is crazy expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. American way. Okay, president of the servant's heart. Yeah. It's a good time to start wanting that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so think about wants. You know, wants are a part of who we are. They're not necessarily wrong. They're just a part of who we are. And if we describe somebody and we said, well, this person really wants to win. They really want better stuff. They really want to be promoted. They really want to be recognized. They really want to be first. They really want to be better. They really want. After a certain amount of descriptions like that, we begin to think, well, I'm not sure about that person. And yet the reality is we all reflect that kind of person. At some level, we all want things. And again, I believe that's how we were designed. It's not a problem that we want. So let's think about what Jesus describes in several areas of of Scripture. The first one is Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. And so you can take note of this reference. You can read this as I talk through it. Uh, We're just going to follow the narrative. And in Mark 10, 35 through 45, James and John come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we want you to do something for us. And whatever we're fixing to ask you, we want you to go ahead and tell us you'll do it. Isn't that a funny way to ask? I mean, it sounds a lot like our kids ask things from us. I just want to make sure you're going to do it before I ask you. And then I'll ask you so I get what I want. So they're coming with a, with a, a want. And they're saying, we want you to do it before you even hear it. Will you commit to it? And Jesus says, well, tell me first what you want. He doesn't make the commitment. He says, what do you want? And they say to him, we want to be on your right side and your left side when you come into glory. We want seat number one and seat number two for eternity. That's what we want. And Jesus says, are you boys able and willing to pay the price for getting those two seats? And they say, yeah, we're, we're willing and we're able. They have no idea what they're talking about. But they say, we'll do whatever it takes because that's what we want. And Jesus says, well, you guys are going to do what it takes, but those two seats have already been determined. So I can't really give them to you because it's already been tagged who's going to get those seats. When the other ten disciples heard about this conversation, they got really, really mad. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why they got mad. I suspect there were several reasons. One was probably they got beat to the punch. You know, someone would probably think, well, I wanted to ask that question. I can't believe they asked it before me. Someone were probably thinking things like, you know, those guys are low down for wanting to edge us out and had no concern for us, but only concern for themselves. I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons why they were angry, but the fact is they were angry. And Jesus then responded to all of them in the group and said to them, listen, you watch people in your world position for power. He says, you see how the Gentiles lord over people and display their authority, being first. So Jesus is talking about the desire to be first, the desire to win, the desire to displace others and rise above. 
And he says, you've seen it around you every day of your life, and you watch how people do it. I want you to do it differently. If you really want to be great, if you really want to be first, you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying, you have a want. Nothing wrong with the want, but if you really do want to be first, if you really do want to be great, let me tell you how you get it. He says, this is how you get it. If you want to be first, if you want to be great, you become a servant to everyone around you. You become first or great by becoming less and serving people. And then he presents himself as an example. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. If anybody had the right to demand, I am first place, Jesus had that right because he is first place. But he chose to demonstrate his greatness by becoming a servant. He says, if you want to be great, then you become a servant. So what's interesting to me about that is Jesus doesn't tell the the disciples, you know what James and John wanted? Man, that was just self-centered, egotistic, and wrong. You boys should not have wanted that. He doesn't say that. He says, the fact that you want that is just like I made you. The question is whether or not you'll pursue the greatest first place. You're going to pursue first place because that's how you're designed. But the question is, do you want the greatest greatness? If you do, this is how you get it. And Jesus told them how to go after first place, the best first place. There's another story in Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 15. In Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 15, Jesus is invited to a banquet. And at the banquet, people start coming in, and they, they interestingly enough, start positioning themselves for seats of honor. So you wait, when you get to the banquet, there are certain seats organized in such a way that when you get there, you know who the, the host honored by way of the seat they have been given. So everybody's getting there, and Jesus is observing how people are positioning for these seats of honor, looking for the best place at the banquet. He watches as it unfold, and then he stands up at the beginning of the banquet. He says, can I have your attention, please? I've been watching the whole time, and I've noticed that all of you want the place of honor. Can I tell you how to go about getting that better next time? And then he says, next time you come to a banquet, what you need to do is when you arrive, arrive early enough to take the worst seat at the banquet. Because if you take the worst seat at the banquet, it's very likely that the host is going to come into the banquet and say, that seat is not good enough for you. I've got a seat of better honor for you. And he says he'll move you up to a seat of greater honor in front of all the people there, and you will be honored in front of everyone. Now, it really is interesting to me that Jesus is giving advice to these banquet goers about how to get the best seat at a banquet and get honored among all people. Don't you think it probably got their attention? I mean, everybody there is thinking, man, this guy is smart. He must have done this a lot because he's figured out a way to get the best honor at the next banquet. And now they all have a way to go about it. So at the moment he's got everybody's attention, he speaks to the guy who invited everybody. And he says, the next time that you hold a banquet, this is what I would encourage you to do. Invite people to the banquet that cannot return the favor. Invite people who will never be able to invite you. Instead of just inviting your friends who can return the favor, next time you have a banquet, invite people who can never repay you, and you will receive repayment, honor, in eternity. So what Jesus did is he grabbed everybody's attention 
Because everybody had the same want. Everybody wants honor and recognition. There's simply nobody in here that would prefer to be marginalized. We all want honor. We all recognition. And Jesus taps into that desire that we all have. And he says, look, if you really want it, I can tell you how to get it. But I want you to know when you get that honor, there's a greater honor to go after. And what I want to encourage you to do is go after the greater honor. Because if you keep going after the lesser honors in your life, you're still going to find that you want. But if you go after the greater honor, the eternal honor, you'll find that your wants have been met. And he encourages them to want more. Don't be satisfied with wanting less. Want more. Okay, here's another area of want that really relates to Christmas. That, that We want stuff, right? I mean, $600 billion will be spent this Christmas season on stuff. $600 billion. I, I like to think about what does that really mean? How do you quantify $600 billion? You know, if you wanted to, to count to $600 billion, how long it would take us? Like 19,000 years? If we stacked up $600 billion bills end to end and circled them around the earth, you know how many times we go around the earth? 2,000 times. That's a lot of money, and it's all spent on stuff we want. And Jesus talked about stuff we want in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, Jesus says, Don't store up your treasure on earth where moss and rust destroy, where thieves break in, and steal. Instead, store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. And then he says something about your hearts. He says, where your treasures are, that's where your heart will be. You notice what Jesus says there? He does not say you've got a real issue in your life because you want stuff and you better stop wanting stuff. That's not what Jesus does. He says, look, if you really want stuff, and I know you do, want better stuff. Don't be satisfied with the stuff that can rust and be destroyed, be robbed, and, and be taken out of your life. Instead, go after the things that are best. Go after the things that cannot be destroyed. Go after the things that cannot be stolen. Go after eternal things. And this is what Jesus said. He goes, if you go after the best stuff, you're going to find that your heart's in a better place. Isn't that interesting that Jesus cares so much about our hearts that he tells us what we should really want because he designed us all to want things. The challenge is for each of us is that we oftentimes become satisfied with lesser wants instead of pressing on to greater wants. Jesus' people did the same thing in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. It says God's people took and they forsook the fountain of living waters. So I want to read this passage to you. It's really interesting. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. God is speaking to his people through the prophet. He said, for my people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. He says, I've come to give you everything you want in life. And you have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And he says, two, here's what you've done. You have hewn for yourselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. So I've made myself available to you, the fountain of living waters, to meet your every want. 
Everything you want, everything you need is found ultimately in me. And I am the fountain of living waters and you walked away from me. And when you walked away from me, you fashioned containers with big old holes in the bottom of them. And you went to wells of water that were not me, thinking that if you dipped your container of your life into that well, that you'd come up full. And what you discovered is you've come up empty every single time. Because ultimately, the only thing that can fill you is me. You see, God has told us that we want things, and it's okay. But that if we expect our lives to be filled the way we need them to be filled, we better be dipping our lives into the well of the fountain of living waters, a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is who we want. It's not wrong for us to want things. In fact, we're designed to want things so that all of our wants will ultimately lead us to Jesus. Because here's the way this works for us. If I get everything on my Christmas list in 2015, you know what's going to happen in 2016? I'm going to have a new list, aren't I? Because in 2015, I'm never going to get all I want if all my wants are wrapped up into the things that I think I want. But you know what's going to happen if I say, you know what I want to make sure happens in my life? That all of my wants that will never be met temporarily with winning, being first place, recognition among others, or stuff. All of those wants are never really going to be ultimately satisfied. And certainly I have those wants driving my life at some level. But I need to recognize that those wants that cannot be satisfied by the lesser things really are pushing me to find Christ. So that in knowing him and finding him, I discover what I really wanted all along. And here's the conspiracy of Advent. If I actually think and believe that I can spend less by wanting more, there's a good chance I'm going to end up having more. Because if I'm not controlled by lesser wants, but really motivated by higher wants, then I don't have to spend as much. I can forgo some of the lesser wants because I am more concerned about the greater wants. And all of a sudden, there's a good chance in my life I might have a little bit more to give. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, Jesus says, if you've done this to the least of these, you've done it to me. And he's talking about how you have given to those in your life who have needs. And what's interesting to me in that passage in Matthew chapter 25, the people are saying, well, we never... We never gave to you in that situation where you needed this or needed that. And Jesus says, well, if you gave to those who were needy, it was just like you gave to me. And Jesus gives the impression that those who have found their wants met in Christ are those who spend less because they wanted more and therefore had a little bit more to give and found that giving more was really satisfying in their lives and was ultimately worth every cost. And so I believe the scripture really encourages us to spend less by wanting more. And that every one of us needs to recognize, particularly in this season, we want a lot of stuff. We want a lot of things. And really what our heart is crying out for is Christ. And if we just focus in on knowing Christ together as a family this year, this season, it just might be that we might find within ourselves the ability to spend a little less, to give a little bit more, and be a little bit different and what's happening around us. My hope is that every one of your kids understood a principle through these scriptural stories that could, that could really give them a trajectory for the rest of their lives.
A principle that nothing in this world temporary can really satisfy them. Like simply following and knowing Christ. Can you imagine how free your children will be if they're not bound up by temporal wants, lesser wants, but instead set free by greater wants? And isn't that what we want for our kids? To be able to walk through this life in a way that they are not bound up by the things that are temporary, but instead set free by the things that are eternal. And so I hope that as you engage them over this season, that you'll have these kind of conversations with them. You'll share about how you are changing, how you are trying to want more and then experience the blessings of having wanted more.